0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. This is Robert Lamb.
2: And I'm Julie Dugala,
1: And uh, we uh, both researched this uh, podcast... Yesterday, uh, did a lot of our research yesterday and, you know, a little bit, you know, on the other days uh, prior. But, uh, but then we both went home to our respective houses, went to sleep, and dreamed. So, uh, here's the question. Did your dreaming last night help you prepare at all for this podcast?
2: You know, normally I would be able to answer that question because I remember quite a few of my dreams, mm-hmm. but I really don't remember my dreams last night. I can only assume that, uh, I was hopefully covering the material.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, on my part. I, I don't always remember my dreams, but I remember the one last night because I was dreaming that my cat had a guest starring role on 30 rock. And then I woke up to the sound of the cat barfing, um, which generally happens, like the cat starts barfing or even beginning to barf somewhere in the house and I just wake up like that and immediately go into this sort of half awake, must keep the cat from barfing on soft, uh, things mode, you know?
2: Right, like on blankets and yeah. wool carpets. You go into triage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it did not really help, uh, this podcast at all. Not to say that something in, in my, in my dream cycle didn't help, but it's like, it wasn't, yeah, but there wasn't like a situation where I was like, how are we going to do that intro tomorrow? And then like a, a man appeared to me in the, like, in in the dream, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, um, like some, you know, podcasting deity appears and says, this is how you will do it. You will both talk about how the night before your dreams inspired, you know, like there was nothing like that. I was
2: going to say Ira Glass, but that didn't sound like Ira Glass.
1: (laughs) That's not Ira Glass's voice. (laughs) No. But but Ira Glass would have been a good, good pick for that. uh, Yeah. Yeah. That dream vision. Um, but the interesting thing is you do see plenty of really cool examples of, uh, uh, and, and all of them are potentially problematic, uh, of creative people or, or even scientific, uh, you know, or, or rather artistically, uh, geared people or scientifically geared people, um, getting something a- out of their dream, some sort of inspiration or some idea, mm-hmm. you know, this, like, this moment of like inception that just, uh, that, that ena- enables them to create some great work or, or, or solve some problem that was nagging them in their daily life. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that makes sense because the mind, uh, I've always said, plays with what it loves. Mm-hmm. And if you're working on a problem day after day, of course, it's going to show up in your dreams.
1: Yeah. So I guess mine is, is something to do with like my cat and 30 rock, but.
2: Yeah, I think that you have a, a wish fulfillment for for Biscuit to show up yeah. <laughs> on a 30 rock episode. And now, who doesn't?
1: Now I have, I know, uh, we talked about this earlier. I think we've both had examples where, um, we've had something in a dream that we've been able to take and run with, uh, like in a creative fashion. Yeah. Um, sometimes those ideas have worked for me. Um, and I've been able to like, you know, it be like a really cool image that I'm like, oh, I can take that and, and extrapolate on that and, and feel like, you know, I create something interesting, say fiction wise out of it. Right. Um, have you found that to be the case?
2: Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, when I've been writing fiction, I've, there have been certain scenes that came to me as if fully formed. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't that the actual story wasn't fully formed, but there was a very visceral idea of, of this thing that became the plot, uh, for something. And I've also, uh, had dreams when I've had a conflict with someone mm-hmm. and, and had was talking in that dream about um, the conflict with that person. And that really seemed to help yeah. gain a better perspective.
1: Huh. Well, like I know I've had, I have, I think I have a lot of dreams where I'm, I, it probably comes with like being fascinated by subway systems and public transportation systems that are uh, rail based or subterranean in nature. Mm-hmm. And also from taking um, Atlanta's public transportation, MARTA right uh, every day. I frequently have these dreams of sort of, like vast, like unreal, um, subterranean public transit systems, you know, and, and lots of, lots of sort of un, you know, very, very fantastic, uh, settings that okay. are all sort of subway based.
2: So do you have a sort of continuity in your dreams? Yeah. And, and there's this universe that you've created that you can revisit.
1: Yeah. And so I've, I've gotten some ideas out of that where I'm, where I sort of like in my waking, um, hour sort of think back on that world and sort of try to apply form and function to it that doesn't exist in the dream.
2: Oh, so you're working on your dreams in your waking life.
1: Yeah. Some, I guess. Whoa. But uh, but it's more like, I, like I say, I feel like I'm definitely applying an order to it that doesn't exist in the dream. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I've also had like one particular example that I always come back to is what I refer to as the hell pimple dream, where I had this dream and it's like I woke up in the night and I'm like, this is a fabulous story idea. So it'll be about a hell pimple where <laughs> I think the basis was that you have the surface world and then hell. And mm-hmm. then there's like a pimple coming up from hell mm-hmm. into this. And, and anyway, when I woke up at like, you know, three o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, th- this time it was like, this is a great idea. This is the best idea ever. And I like wrote it down on a little right. pad and then came back to it. I'm like, wow, this is just so monumentally stupid, you know? So
2: <laughs> had you been uh, reading Dante before that? That's, possibly. Yeah.
1: Honestly, I have read Dante before. That so. seems
2: like it could be like a hell pimple yeah. sort of, uh indirect thing happening there. Um, well, what I think is really interesting about this is, especially the subterranean dreams, is that you did create that continuity and mm-hmm. that there is, there's something going on in our dream lives, um, that indicates that w- we do have an area to work out our problems or our ideas. But then you've got cognitive scientist Steven Pinker, and he's the same guy, by the way, who when, when we were covering music, um, and, and how it can rebuild your brain in that podcast. He's the guy that said that auditory cheesecake is something um, that he could ascribe to the ability of humans to play music, sing, appreciate music, so on and so forth, that it didn't necessarily add to any sort of um, function. Uh-huh. In an evolutionary sense. Yeah,
1: he's, he provides the really sobering, uh, note to, um to other researchers who make a really lofty, well not lofty, but make a, a really, you know, strong claim that, that music is a really essential part of, of who we are and serves uh, a, a specific purpose. purpose. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, I mean, he's like the killjoy, right? <laughs> of, of all the fun things. And when it comes to dreams, same thing. Yeah.
1: Not uh, to say we don't need killjoys. I mean, to, yeah. you know, we need somebody to say, "Whoa, slow down there, guys."
2: Don't get too excited. Don't get too
1: excited about this because there is something in our nature. We want to give meaning to these things, right? Uh, you know, and uh,
2: because they're important to us, and yeah. so we think, therefore, oh well, you know, of course, my dream's is important. Um, so he likens dreams to computer screensavers, <laughs> and uh, I know, which is totally depressing. He says it doesn't really matter what the content is, as long as certain parts of the brain are active. Okay. That being said, there's a lot of data out there now that say, that we can point to and say, okay, well, dreams actually are a huge function of of the way that we are processing information. Right. And that's what we're talking about today.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to run through uh, a few examples of uh, of of ways that uh, first artists uh, from a, a different spectrum have uh, have claimed that uh, dreams have uh, inspired their work. Right. Um. And, uh, you know, without spending a whole lot of time on it, you have people like Salvador Dali, of course, uh, claimed dreams stimulated his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a number of filmmakers such as uh, Igmar Bergman, uh, 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 Fellini. Um, you have uh, um, authors such as uh, Robert Louis Stevenson and Mary Shelley. Right. Um, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Frankenstein. There's the whole uh, business with uh, Paul McCartney uh, claiming yesterday uh, uh, he heard it in, a, in, a, in his dream, right? Right, the melody. Yeah. And immediately
2: then, got up and, and started playing on the piano. And this is just a biographically kind of interesting that, uh, he was in the midst of filming help
1: mm-hmm.
2: and he was staying in his parents' attic in a small room. And so, I mean, it's interesting that he composed this completely nostalgic piece of music in a really important time of his life.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: well, sidebar there.
1: Yeah. And, uh, one of my favorites is the, uh, the tale of Joe R. Lansdale, who's kind of a weird Southern, Southern Gothic, uh, noir writer, Um uh, uh uh, still writing uh putting out a a number of novels today but he he claimed to have this thing where uh, anytime he was hard up for a story idea couldn't think of anything he would have his wife make him a big bowl of popcorn and he would like just gorge himself on it and then go to bed Mm -hmm. which would result in like these crazy dreams and he claims that anytime that those dreams gave him like even something he could like grab onto and turn into a story he was able to sell that story uh with with like you know the, the first time he submitted it to a publication.
2: That's pretty great. So the, the popcorn was like this uh, symbolic, like mental activity.
1: Thing yeah. Well, I him, think like it also lucky
2: Red socks and.
1: Yeah. And in also, you know, like in our, our recent uh, podcast about the gut, we talked about how inner uh, about the link between our our gastrointestinal uh, uh, activity and right. our neural activity uh, in the brain and how there is this, you know, they're this they're linked. And so, uh, you know, it's like he's stimulating the brain by stimulating the gut and uh, getting these crazy stories out of it. Hmm.
2: I think I know what I'm doing this weekend. <laughs> I'm going to try that out.
1: Uh, I tried it with pickles once, and I think it worked. I mean, not. I didn't set out to. It's just I ended up eating, like, two or three, like, big, like, uh, you know, boar-said pickles before I went to sleep mm-hmm. and had some sort of weird dreams. But uh, you also encounter, of course, scientists who – um who claim to have, uh, have, have made that, you know, come up with that one key step they were missing or, right. or, you know, it's kind of like in back to the future, you know, where you have, uh, Dr. Emmett Brown claiming, you know, where he, uh, he, he envisions the flux capacitor that makes time travel possible in a dream, which is a great way to explain the unexplainable, um, always. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll get into that in a, in a minute too, because, uh, because again, all these examples of somebody claiming, uh, dream inspiration are, uh, are at once believable and potentially problematic, right? But,
2: because it relies on your personal experience, right?
1: Right. It's and, not verifiable. Yeah, and I mean, well, let's let's go ahead and get into this part. Yeah, it's there's something about even in, in even today uh, when we know, I think most of us know that a dream is not the divine talking to you. There's still the the dream world is mysterious, and to say that an idea came to you in a dream, um, you know, it it kind of uh. Elevates that, I- that idea. Mm-hmm. It's it's like saying, you know, I got this idea from a dream. I got this idea from, uh, you know, there's a sense of it, I got it from another world. There's a sense I got it from a um, from the muse. From the muse. It's uh, or it's or it's just sort of a symbol out of a, a mysterious, uh, you know, process, and uh, and and so making that claim uh, can can be a little uh, disingenuous, I guess. Is that
2: you know? because the the memory is a faulty thing?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And then the then what I always think of too is that the ego might be kind of bound up too. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm a genius. I, I've got the solution. I, I dreamed
1: yeah, about it. Yeah, like this brain is pretty fabulous. I was thinking about this problem, <laughs> and then I just, I just went to sleep, and my brain did all the rest of the work. Like that's yeah. how awesome this, uh, this engine in my head is. You know, right. so there's, there's a, there's a sense of that with, with these, and, and of course, it's one of those things that can never be fully pr- proven. I could, I could make the claim that every podcast we've done. I've, you know, has been inspired by my dreams, and you know, how are you going to prove me wrong, right? I'm not. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, keep that in mind in any of the ex- examples we're talking about. I think it, as we'll get into it, there's clearly something going on in the in the brain, and uh, a number of processes that we can actually look at scientifically. Right. But ultimately, there's a lot of subjective subjective area there to keep in mind. Uh, the the biggest one that come that uh, that generally rises to the top is uh, Dmitri uh, Mendeleev. Okay. And uh, he was working on the periodic table of elements, um, which we have a there's a I believe there's a podcast about that and uh, also an excellent how stuff works article. Um, but uh, he allegedly he fell asleep during an afternoon game of solitaire, <laughs> as one is wont to do. And uh, upon waking, he, you know, he knew exactly how he was going to arrange them. Uh, which is, of course, he ranged the, uh, ranged them according to increasing atomic mass and found that, you know, the elements of, of similar properties appeared at regular intervals. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, this is, uh, but this is one, again, we can't really prove that this happened.
2: Right. right. Yeah. And there's actually some information out there that, that calls it into question. Because mm-hmm. they say that it, um, that it rests on a colleague's secondhand account of this, mm-hmm. right? So maybe he told the, the colleague. And then that the archival material indicates that, uh, Mendeleev had already discovered the periodic table before the alleged dream took place. Hmm. And that a dream quite plausibly occurred somewhat later than depicted and, and it was an improved representation of the periodic table. Huh. So there's, the, I mean, no doubt he had a dream about it, but it may have not been the, the eureka moment that was you know, all of a sudden the complete version
1: yeah. of the periodic table. It makes me think too, like maybe he just got sick of telling the story. Like everybody, you know, like it's like he goes to a dinner party and they're like, Hey, Mendeleev, how'd you come up with that periodic table? And eventually you just get sick of telling the same story over and over. And you're like, I dreamt it.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause if he tells a real version, he's yeah. not going to have the, the group for very long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Another interesting case is, uh, is a Frederick August von Kuchel, uh, back in 1869. And he again allegedly discovered the ring structure of the benzene molecule uh, by dreaming about a snake uh, seizing hold of its own tail.
2: Which, for the conspiracy theorists out there, don't get too excited. I don't <laughs> think that he was a member of the Illuminati. Yeah. Um, but right, that 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 uh, he took that and he extrapolated that to say that benzene had a ring-like molecular structure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is pretty cool. I mean, if if indeed that happened.
1: Yeah, because uh, the benz- benzene is uh it's basically it's a ring of six carbons and then there're like six hydrogen shooting off from it. Though I have to say I look at it and I don't think, oh my goodness, it's totally a snake, um you know, consuming its own tail.
2: No, and I was thinking about that too. I was like, "Ah, eh, that seems a little far-fetched, but if you are obsessed with a topic, mm-hmm. you'll find patterns anywhere that you can, right? So maybe even if it was an accident, maybe if the the he truly was just dreaming about a snake consuming uh-huh. its own tail, um after his Illuminati meeting. And then he woke up and he thought, oh, well. Yeah. You know what? There's, there's actually a correlation here. Like the, it's, you know, the brain does try to find patterns.
1: Yeah. Well, like maybe he was reading a bunch of, uh, like Norse mythology and he was all wound up about the, the Orgamander and the, the Midgard Sorum, and, you know. And, Who isn't about the Midgard Sorm? Yeah, gotta love it. Yeah. Um, another interesting account is, uh, that of, uh, this, well, there's, uh, first of all, there's, uh, Elias Ho, uh, 1844. This is the guy who uh, uh, he was working on designs for the first sewing machine, and he couldn't figure out how to make it hold the needle. And uh, then he dreamt that he was being attacked by cannibals with spears and <laughs> supposedly worked it all out.
2: Right, right. And he noticed that the spear, there was a small hole at the top, right? Because I uh-huh. think before he was playing with a needle that he had put the hole in the middle.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so he had that eureka moment when, when he was um, about <laughs> to be cannibalized in his dream.
1: I wonder if he like woke up like first of all was like oh my god oh goodness I'm about to be eaten like just completely freaking out and he's like oh oh wait now I got it you know right oh
2: that's sort of interesting too because you you know his adrenaline probably was pretty high yeah and there's actually um, some correlation between adrenaline and long term memory huh so
1: interesting yeah
2: so it was good that he remembered it uh one of the more adrenaline
1: (laughs) one of the more uh, crazier examples is uh Herman v uh Hilprecht and uh this guy was actually a german born professor of assyrian um, and uh there uh, it's worth noting there there are also some accusations that this professor in you know took credit for other people's archaeological work uh that he hadn't done that he uh, appropriated artifacts etc so there's there's some controversy about this figure um, but uh the, but there were like two cases where he supposedly figured something out via his dreams uh for instance he was trying to um uh, decode the name Nebuchadnezzar, the legendary Babylonian king. Right, and he claims that he had a a, a dream, um, and we, you know he'd been working at this problem, working at it, and uh, then he had a dream um, where he like saw this uh, this dude at a table, and he figured out that the uh, that it means uh, Nebu protect my boundary, uh, which uh, that may not make a lot of sense, but let me get on the the next one, which is even more interesting. And this was one he was uh, this is uh, eighteen ninety three. Uh, and uh, there was uh, an expedition to the Temple of Bel at Nippur in present-day Iraq, and uh, he brought back a sketch of two fragments uh, uh, with uh, inscriptions in cuneiform, and uh, he made a stab at translating these uh, to no avail. And then, uh, then he supposedly had a dream in which, quote, a tall, thin priest of the old pre-Christian Nippur, unquote, came to him in a dream and informed him that these fragments were portions of earrings, And, uh, and that the Babylonian king had sent, uh, these, uh, had sent an inscribed votive cylinder, uh, to, uh, to some artisans and asked them to make, uh, earrings. And then he made them out of this inscribed cylinder. Okay. And, uh, and so he ended up going to the, uh, he, he thought about it this after the dream, apparently, and decided that, yes, the dream was right. And then he went to, uh, the Imperial Museum, uh, in Constantinople in, uh, the same year and located fragments, uh, in two widely separated cases, and when he arranged them side by side, he found that they had in fact once belonged uh, to the same votive cylinder.
0: Oh. So
1: this uh, fascinated um, uh, some some people, but uh, but when they really started looking at it, there was like it was clear that this was just associative reasoning. There was like nothing right. going on that like these dreams were not giving him any information that he could not have pieced together uh, conceivably, you know, in his waking uh, contemplations. Right. It just yeah. happened to yeah.
2: occur in his dream state yeah. rather than his waking right.
1: state. And, and again, there are some controversies about the, the guy anyway. So, you know, keep that in mind too. Right. But, uh, but, but even if it was completely on the up and up, there was nothing, uh, you know, there was nothing supernatural going on here. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: But then, yeah, there's the problem him being a little spotty. So yeah. what are you going to do?
1: So what's going on in the mind?
2: A lot, turns yeah. out. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's a psychologist by the name of Deidre Barrett, and she says that creative problem-solving dreams virtually always occur only after the dreamer has done extensive work on the issue awake. So most typically the dreamer is stuck at one particular step mm-hmm. of a multiple-phase process, and then and the dream involves that step. So then you uh, add another psychologist to the equation, and uh, his name is Robert Stickold, and he has conducted all sorts of studies. But basically, his premise is that sleep can increase your ability to finish solving uh, outstanding problems that you may have. And when you look at it, um, our brains, the, the regions involved in dreaming, the emotional processing are cranked way up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got the emotional component and what he seems to think is that there are parts of the brain that you can access much more directly than in your waking sleep. Um, in particular, the, the emotional components, which may have been gathering data for you as well mm-hmm. um, that can inform the, the problem that you're working on. Right. And I mean, I would use the example of, from earlier when we were talking about solving problems in our dreams and when I've had a conflict with someone. And being able to access that information in my mind during a dream and having this conversation and, and perhaps having the time and space on a mental blackboard to figure that out and those right. resources being more available to me. So this is someone who has, uh, like I said, carried out a lot of studies in that area. So anyway, um, yes, he, Robert Sickle thinks that dreams are constructed within networks of associated memories that we don't have access to normally. And he sees dreams as being about what the brain calculates as most important, same as, as Barrett. Basically, the importance of the subject multiplied by the time spent on it determines what we dream about. Uh, but now, of course, the problem is that we don't always remember our dreams. Um, right. So there are two theories on why we don't remember dreams. One is that uh, during REM, we shut off our non-adrenaline release. And that may shut down systems that normally encode memories. So when we wake up from a lingering dream and that dream is sort of in a short term purgatory of mm-hmm. memory, um, whether or not it sticks depends on if we can revisit the material while we're actively awake. It's when the uh, noradrenaline release turns back on and then it commits it to memory. Right. So that's one possibility. The second possibility of why we don't necessarily remember is that we can't necessarily index them and find them quickly. Um, we need associations to trip the memory. So um stickgold uses the, the example of seeing a cat and then all of a sudden remembering uh, a dream from the night before about a cat mm-hmm. and being able to take those associations and really activate the recall part of your brain. Oh cool. Yeah, so that's, that's always something kind of mystery, like why can't I remember every single one of my dreams?
1: Huh. Yeah, there's a, um uh, on similar ground, there's a, there's a 2007 study from Germany's Central Institute of Mental Health. And they looked at uh, and they were looking into um, how dreams uh, influence creativity. OK. And uh, it's important that when I'm talking about creativity, we're not just talking about Salvador Dali painting a dreamscape. Like this is the
2: creative thinking in any field. Right. right? Yeah.
1: yeah. The same thing goes for, you know, you're trying to figure out how to build a sewing machine because mm-hmm. creativity is essentially taking, um, you know, different ideas and assembling them into new and useful combinations. Uh, you know, it, it, so in a sense, the whole uh, dreams are just a, a screensaver. Maybe in the sense that, like, if say you had a, uh, you have one of those screensavers that draws from a folder of images, mm-hmm. and so all these images are things that occupy your brain, and you know suddenly, oh, we're we're getting the picture of, uh, you know, the cat barfing, and oh, here's the picture of, uh, you know, of of Thirty Rock or something, you know, and so then they become right because know, overlapped. For, for
2: you, the cat barfing is going to get flagged because it's really important because that means you're going to have some big dry cleaning bills, right? <laughs> So, but I mean, in terms yeah. of content right. that we flag as, oh, this is important to yeah. pay attention to.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, it's like one of those things where, you know, you'll have like, oh, on, on one level, here's this, you know, there's a, this area of like just a pure emotional, like say, uh, you know, fear of, um, I don't know, you know, fear of strangers. And then mm-hmm. it gets tied up with some, you know, fictional, uh, thing you've been consuming. Like I think of like, like zombie dreams. Like, have you ever had zombie Holocaust dreams, zombie apocalypse? No, dreams? I wish. Really? Can yeah. I have them frequently? I think my wife does too. No. And, uh, I, I've, I've spent some time like sort of analyze self analyzing those and thinking about like, what does that represent? Because I think there are a number of things in the whole zombie mythos that really, uh, that, that really, uh, capture a lot of emotions about modern life um,
2: No, no. I I, I think that it's just that they're so slow moving that I've never been able to take them seriously as a threat.
1: Exactly. But I think that's why we end up uh, getting attached to them because it's a slow moving moving threat that we can totally deal with if we apply ourselves. And it's a blank check to use um, violence to solve. uh, It's basically, uh, in in the zombie movies, it's like totally cool to use just brutal violence to solve a very simple problem. And so I think there's something like, you know primal in our, in our you know in our hindbrain that really wants to be able to solve simple problems like that and of course the world because there's no continents.
2: morality uh, connected to yeah. zombies
1: yeah but but i'm 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 getting off the point um, <laughs> basically <laughs> i'm saying you know it'll sort of I was ver- to say
2: i think there's an academic paper here in the works
1: um, uh, there is somebody had re- there was a, a recent article about the whole like uh the, the problem solving aspect of that not so much the violence um i'll have to throw it up on the blocks uh, when i can remember it later That's maybe right. after Look a good night's it. sleep yeah <laughs> But back to this, uh, this German study, um, this 2007 study. They looked at individual, individuals with average levels of creativity who had reported uh, their dreams stimulating, stimulating their waking life creativity. And uh, they found that there were a number of factors uh, that, uh, that were in play here. Uh, dream And dream recall frequency was key. Uh, your ability to recall the dream was a major, had a major influence on whether or not that was actually useful uh, to you on a creative level. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, there were traits like uh, attitude towards creativity and creative activities uh, that you undertake on a regular basis, your openness to new experience, right. and just your ma- imagination in general. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow.
2: So the the this was bearing out what in the study specifically is is it sort of that the more uh, is it to me it's like a chicken and egg proposition like the more uh, artistic you are or creative during the day then it would feed your dreams or vice versa
1: yeah yeah I mean it's like you're you're engaging in a creative process of some kind and then you're dreaming it's you know it's on on one level it's like the creative process is the problem you're trying to solve Mm -hmm. and you you dream about it. And then your you know, your brain ends up preparing you more for the for that challenge in the waking life. But also, it comes down to: Are you remembering your dreams? Are you the kind of person that's going to value the dream uh, information okay. at all? You know, yeah. Uh, are you the kind of person that's going to you know look at the cat and think, "Oh, I had a dream last night about that cat. What was that dream? What did that dream mean?" You know.
2: So you can't necessarily dismiss dreams out of hand if you're if you're the person who really wants to add more value to your own creativity. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, which you know is an interesting prospect.
1: Yeah, I mean this one study anyway, um, and and there are some other interesting ones where they look at just how it affects, um, uh, you know, your ability to solve problems. There's a University of California San Diego experiment where, uh, and this is a, this is one of those just brilliantly simple experiments where three words are given to test subjects, such as surprise, line, and birthday, and then they you have to guess a fourth word. So what would, what would be the first, uh, so fourth associated word you would pick for surprise line and birthday?
2: Surprise line, birthday, zombies.
1: <laughs> well, the, the word they were asked, they were looking for was party. Oh, right, you know, of course. Surprise party, party line. Party which line a little Yeah. yeah and yeah. then birthday party. Uh, so, but they let, uh, one third of the test subjects nap before they picked that fourth word. Mm-hmm. And, uh, post, uh, um, uh, rim sleep. They, and then they woke up and the people who had had that little nap scored 40% higher. Okay. Uh, and then the quiet rest or non-REM uh, sleep, uh, 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 test subjects produced no benefit whatsoever. So, uh, so this was, uh, you know, they were definitely making an argument that REM sleep is having a very, um, you know, active role in preparing you for these, uh, problem solving. You know, the brain is free associating amongst mm-hmm. its, uh, ideas and its memories and, uh, you know, it's creating these loose associations that we're able to, you know, then we're able to put the connections together and get uh, new ideas out of it, you know, it's the crea- creativity, yeah. you know, the guts of creativity in action.
2: Uh, along the same lines, again, Robert Stickgold had a, a study where he had some college students uh, go through a maze on a computer, mm-hmm. and they were asked to note the position of a particular tree oh, in the yes, maze. Oh, yes, I
1: ran across this as well.
2: Yeah, and then uh, I think, like, I don't know how many of the subjects were asked to take a nap, and the other, let's say, half were asked to go do something quiet
0: mm-hmm.
2: and meditative, um, and after the, the they completed their activity, whether it was napping or playing a you know quiet video game, I don't know. Um, they then were retested, or, or rather, they were put through the maze again, and those subjects found the tree a lot faster. Uh, the, but of course, they had to have had dreamed about it. And the ones who reported dreaming about it actually were the ones that that found the tree a lot faster.
1: Yeah, those who uh, th- those who had dreamed of the uh, ex- of the experimental task. Yeah, um, that's like four four of the fifty nappers. Right. They completed the maze just much faster.
2: Right. And and the reason that they know that they dreamed about it is because from time to time they would wake them up and ask them what they were dreaming about. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, I think it was right as they were going to sleep in REM sleep and then right at the end of their sleep cycle. Huh. And so the, the person would say, I'm dreaming about the maze or, you know, giving certain details. Um, but it was interesting that a lot of them described uh, some of the associations with learning, meaning that they would say, OK, I, I'm I'm hearing the music that was played in the lab earlier. Huh. And now I see the tree or I see this position in the maze, which again points back to the fact that you've got to have certain associations during learning and it actually makes me think about this study that was done uh, with a bunch of college kids they were basically saying okay we want you to study in three different places all everybody you know one group three different places one group just studying the same place that you always study Mm -hmm. and the people that studied in multiple places scored higher because they were creating those associations they were in that room when they were thinking about this piece of information and the light was just so and so the cool thing about dreams is that it's allowing you to replay all of those associations that you're having uh, during the learning process interesting yeah so stick gold again this is this is the guy to go to with dreams and learning he was he wanted to test out dreaming and problem solving um but he wasn't quite sure how to get everybody to dream about the same thing. So this is sort of his poor man's inception <laughs> right here. Yeah. Um he decided to have a group of people play Tetris.
1: Oh yes, because I think anybody who's played Tetris has had dreams about it. It's yeah. it it just happens, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's something that it's like catnip for the brain that mm-hmm. you you can't help but revisit again and again. Um But the group included amnesiacs, which is sort of interesting. Um, and 60% of this group dreamed about Tetris, indeed. And again, they did the same process where they woke them up at intervals and asked them what they were dreaming about. Um So that finding suggests that dreams come from the parts of the brain responsible for implicit memories, uh, such as being able to ride a bike after years of not being on one. Uh-huh. And that's a memory that um, actually amnesiacs do have. And the study confirmed that scientists' suspicions that implicit rather than declarative memories were involved. And that really cemented this idea that the brain uses dreaming to reinforce learning.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I wonder, uh, and certainly if anybody out there uh, has any uh, stories about this, uh, we'd be happy to hear them. Um, If there are cases where someone has been playing a video game of some form, prior to going to sleep, then go to sleep and, you know, dream about it, which mm-hmm. occurs with games other than uh, than Tetris, uh, like, especially if there's anybody out there, like, addicted to, like, angry birds or any of that. If they've ever, like, hit a level where they're like, oh, I totally can't beat this, go to sleep, and then the next day they're able to, to knock it. I wonder if, if that occurs.
2: Oh, yeah. I think I've actually seen studies about that before, yeah. um, that this is a big thing with gamers, too, huh. That that... Um they have to use the same process and saying okay can they work out the problem and then master another level more yeah. efficiently than someone who's not napping or dreaming about see it. there
1: you go don't stay up all night playing video games get some sleep <laughs> and uh you know wake up at a decent time and you know work on it first thing in the morning
2: i say to my old roommate you know i used to get up at seven o'clock to go to work and he was still in front of the computer
1: <laughs>
2: um that being said uh i mean it's it's it, there's no doubt here that there's evidence that your, your brain is working it out while you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess the idea is that if you had more access to your dream material, then you might be able to actively work on these things.
1: Yeah. And, uh, there are also, there's also some, there are also studies that are looking at gene expression. Um, a university of Wisconsin study found that in rat's expression levels of about a hundred genes increased during sleep independent of the time of day. So, um, and you know these are genes that are involved in the release of neurotransmitter uh, chemicals that, of course, you know, allowing different parts of your brain to talk to each other. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so you know, th- throughout these different experiments, you're just seeing you know cases where sleep-induced procedural learning is you know is influence is is you know there's a role with the gene expression, neurotransmitter mechanisms, the patterns of electrical activity, and uh, you know a number of different uh, scientists out there just continuing to sort of map out exactly what's going on, but. Uh, but but I but I think it's clear that you know that that, that uh, the brain is is working on uh, on solving problems in the night, or at least uh, the the results prepare you to uh, to better solve these problems in your waking life.
2: Yeah, I actually even read this this one question that went to Stickgold in a Q and A, and it was someone asking why flying dreams are so prevalent, and he was saying even then your brain is trying to work on the data that it has present and uh-huh. presenting it in a dream. So um he was saying that that the brain is trying to reconcile the fact that we're under the illusion that we're moving but it's getting data from the body saying that it's immobile so flying we're moving but our limbs aren't bending mm-hmm. or moving and so that that was really interesting to me to think that it was it was trying to serve both masters of saying look I'm flying and yet if you've ever had a flying dream you're Usually, the accounts of them are that you're, you know, pretty stiff, like you're in the Superman pose, or you're just sort of sitting very stiffly and moving forward.
1: Yeah, I, I unfortunately don't get them that often, but it's generally like I, like I don't really remember any sense of of moving my limbs, you yeah, know, or having any kind of like. Ref- it's just sort of like you just you're you're flying, you're you're off the ground and. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, it is kind of a stiff feeling when I think back on it.
2: Yeah, and I think that's your brain trying to say, okay, fine. You want to fly? You'll fly. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now that, you know, your body is immobile. You're not huh. moving, buddy. Yeah. So fascinating stuff with the brain.
1: Yeah, take that with you, uh, sleep on it, and uh, and see what kind of interesting ideas come out of it. It's uh, Especially if you're listening to this right before you go to sleep.
2: That's right. Yeah. And don't blame us if you have any nightmares.
1: Yeah. Right. So hey, I think we have uh, just one little bit of uh, listener mail here. Oh, is this the hair shirt email? Hair shirt?
2: Yeah, you know you you noticed the hair shirt that I'm Oh wearing? yes, yes. I yeah. mean it's super spiky and hairy.
1: Yeah, well I mean the color scheme is really cool, so I just thought it was like a, a fashion thing going on. Oh yeah, yeah. thanks.
2: Yeah, it's, it's Italian.
1: Okay. Uh, we have a, li- a listener by the name of Ryan, and Ryan writes in, Hi, Robert and Julie. I love the podcast, but you made a huge mistake when you said that the universe is 47 billion years old. It is, in fact, only 14.7 billion years old. I don't mean to split hairs, but this is a pretty big mistake to make. And In a happier note, thanks for finally helping me figure out a mystery that has bothered me for a while now by explaining that M-Theory stands for membrane. Uh, I could never get a straight answer about what it stood for before. Uh, your loyal listener, Ryan.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, M theory. Uh, for anybody else who's interested in that, um, John Horgan actually has a really interesting article. If you go onto his website, you'll see it. It's about Stephen Hawking, and he talks about M um, theory in more detail. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm. This is a very scratchy shirt, and I'm glad that he pointed that out because it, speaking of dreams and waking life, um, that was one of those things that actually popped up at three o'clock in the morning, uh, a couple days after we recorded the podcast. And I thought, oh, my God, did I say that? But what I thought I had done is confused 4.5 um, billion years in the solar system with 45 million, but apparently I said 47 million, so Well,
1: it's fly. one of those, when you said it, didn't even register because I, I just kind of, like, heard the correct numbers in my head somehow.
2: No, but it hurts his heart and it hurts mine. So, you know, mea culpa.
1: Yeah, but uh, it's worth noting that it's not like you're running into Julie in the hallways and she's making a passionate argument that... Uh, that the universe is 47 billion years old.
2: It's true. Yeah. Or, or 6,000 years. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to, <laughs> you know, have those conversations in the hallway.
1: Um, but by all means, you know, if uh, you, something you overhear in one of our podcasts sounds a little off, uh, you know, a lot of what we do in here, uh, you know, we research everything beforehand, but uh, some of the actual content is sort of coming flying off the cuff. Right. And, uh, you know, every now and then we get something a little wrong. So we're happy to m- uh, make the correction.
2: Uh, and Robert likes to to make me wear a hair shirt, so <laughs> <laughs> it's at his pleasure.
1: Um, and uh, if you have any really interesting uh, anecdotes, or even just mildly interested, we're we're pretty easily pleased. Uh, uh, stories about uh, how uh, dreams have influenced uh, your creative processes, yeah. Whether it be in the creation of art, uh, you know, music. Um, now I'm especially interested in music because I was looking at some stats from one of those studies, and they found uh, like one of the lowest stats. Was musical inspiration among the people? Um, Poe. Now, hmm. you know, even though we have this, you know, this really cool story of uh, of Paul McCartney. Uh, like in this particular study, there were fewer examples of of uh, a dream influencing somebody's music. But but really, anything. If you if you have any examples of of uh, something in your dream, uh, you know, solving that problem, be it scientific or um, artistic, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear about it.
2: Yeah, you never know. It might be Nobel Prize winning.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, on both of those, we are Below the Mind.
2: And if you want to drop us a line in the old Luddite fashion, you can email us at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it
0: today on iTunes. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really.